Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. It's already been a full morning so far. Lots of fun. One of the things that um, our elder Jenny um, prayed before we went up here is just that as the kids um, saying that it wouldn't just be something that we smile and think is cute, but that we would actually acknowledge them as leaders, bringing us to the throne room of heaven, and that these are little leaders, not just in the making, but right now, bringing us to, um, as one, um, lifting us uh, our voices and allowing us to be led through that. So every time they come up, keep that in mind. I just thought it was a great reminder um, as I was sitting there and hearing them sing and pour out their hearts. Um, it's good, uh, good, good morning. Um, we're, we're moving into the next um, uh, week of Advent as we come closer and closer to Christmas Eve. Um, my name is Pastor Eric, uh, so it's good. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, please come up and say hey. Um, and we always want you, if you're new, go ahead and fill out one of these cards so we can follow up with you this week. Um, but we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're sharing this time with us, that you have uh, uh, wanted to come and partner with us as you decide what you're going to do um, and how you're going to venture and journey in your own life towards Jesus. And we want to be a, a part of coming alongside you in that. If you're joining us online, please let us know who you are. You can drop something in the chat as well just to say hi um, to those who are around you. Um, in preparation, so kind of the idea to, uh, today is that what we want to think about is this journey that takes place with Mary and Joseph um, in, inside of uh, what God has given them a call to perform. And when I started to think about what that means for me and how I enter into a calling or something along those lines that would be uh, what God has for me in a given season, I expect God to do something big in my life. I think maybe I've prayed a few prayers along the way. I bet you've prayed a few prayers along the way wherein you've thought to yourself, God, I want to I be a part of something, Right? Um, I, I, want to, uh, I want you to move in a big way in my life. I want to read the scriptures and understand that I too could participate in one of the things that takes place in these situations. But usually when I come to that, that prayer also has a little asterisk next to it along the lines of, uh, but I want it to really require very little of me. Like, I, I'm pretty mature, so I mean, it shouldn't take much for me just to jump into whatever it is you're doing right now. Like, I'm, I'm equipped, I'm fairly able to do whatever it is that might come my way. And by the way, God, if it could involve very little mess, that would be really helpful. I, I don't want any relational fallout to be a part of what's happening. Uh, I, I want it to fit incredibly nicely into what my definition of comfort is. What, what my level of, of flexibility might be. I, I want him to come and take his cards and lay them out on the table and say, all right, here's the entire plan, Eric. You're gonna go from here to here and then you're gonna double back into this situation and then you're gonna move over to this spot and it's all gonna work out in a nice, tidy boat. I wanna be in the know when God is gonna do something big through my life. He's gonna take into account, obviously, my preferences, my choice of whatever it is that, that might be involved in this. He's going to take into account all of the things that I like, my opinions on how something should take place. And obviously, God is going to always use the path of least resistance because that's what I want in those situations. So, so we pray our prayers. We all desire to see God do something in our lives. We read our Bible and we think, man, I want to be a part of a big story. I've even, we've, we've been having some conversations recently just that kind of spontaneously popped up with our kids about angels and what, and what they actually look like versus what they are typically depicted in. And so um, one of the kids said, I, I, want to, I want to see an angel. I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. When you read these things, it's, it's maybe a little different than what you're thinking. I want to see a miracle, though. Have any of you prayed to see a miracle? 
overcome some sort of enemy or see a healing, a deliverance even in your time. And when we think that, we always come to that prayer or to that desire with a high level and with an agenda that God will do what it, make sure that it looks like and will uh, be executed in a way that we would co-sign on, that we would say is good. And so as soon as it gets hard, it's like the immediate reaction is, I mean, what the heck, man? What, what, is, what are you doing right now? This is not what, this isn't what I signed up for. This is not what I planned to do. This is, uh, we'll, we'll pour on all the drama in there too. It's like, God, you've just abandoned me. It's all over. Everything's done, right? And all that's happened is it is diverted, even slightly at times, from what I thought it could look like, what I thought it would look like, or what I was going to tell God it should look like, Right? So today, I want us to jump back into the story of Christmas. We, we, um, we kicked things off last week, but we're going to look at the journey of Mary and Joseph, wherein God is going to do something big. It's even this, uh, 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 this year, as we, as we retell this story, I want us to recognize that even in our retellings of it, we tend to clean it up. We want to steal all of the messiness right out of it. So, so, so look, at this, um, look at this version of the nativity. Uh, look at this version up of the nativity. Now, it's, it's fine enough. I mean, you got a very cutesy-looking situation. There's glowing lights. Look at these guys uh, to the right, smiling um, as if they're not running from Herod for their lives. The, the cows and the horses are getting involved in the situation. You've got the softest lambs up in the front. Um, as you think about this, isn't it true that we tend to sanitize this moment? It's very serene, there's lights. Even our canvas depiction here has lights and sparkly things woven into it. Joseph is like the perfect husband in this situation, right? Look at that guy, just the most caring character in the world. Uh, it does not look like Mary has gone through any labor and the babies that we see usually depicted in our nativity um, usually will, uh, will give us the impression that that baby had a good night's sleep and slept all through the night and probably has never cried a moment of its life, right? We clean it up on behalf of the scriptures. It's not just us going to God and saying, I want my story to look like this. I want their story to look more related to mine. We sanitize the moment in our lives, but the truth is, it is relatable because it is messy. Because our lives are messier than maybe some of us would like to admit, than maybe some of our well-manicured lawns would like to testify to. Because behind those doors, there's something else going on. Things aren't as put together and ordered often as we like to think. And in the nativity, when we look at it, this is a, a, a there's, there's um, real dirt and flesh and messiness. And our lives are very similar. There's blood involved in the story of Advent. There is relational disruption. There is public controversy. There's personal difficulties and... If you're not reading it correctly, you'll steal all of the fear right out of it because this is a scary moment that we enter into. And so what I want to do is read portions of this, of the journey of Joseph and Mary. And, and my hope is that we don't, well, at least we try not to clean it up on behalf of the story that's been given to us. So Luke 1, I want you to open up to chapter 1, verse 26 is where we're going to start. We'll jump over. We're going to focus Mary and Joseph's story, so I'll be jumping over some of the other um, sections with Elizabeth um, and uh, Zechariah. Luke 1, 26. And it says this. 
In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him what? Jesus. Okay, read it honestly. Don't try to clean it up, because if you're reading it the way I'm reading it, all I'm thinking is, as I get to the end of that, I'm like, nope. No way. What, what, what? This is not the kind of plan that Mary has in store for her life. This is not the kind of plan that a first century Jewish, traditionally Jewish context in a small town would go. As we get to know uh, Joseph, what we see is that he sounds like a pretty good dude. She's engaged to this guy, ready to be married. He has a good job. He has a respected name in the community as we read about him. Now, if I'm in this situation, what I'm not thinking is, man, I hope an angel pops up in my first century condo and just out of nowhere looks at me and says, don't be afraid. You're all bright and scary looking, man. That's fearful. And then he looks at her and says, you're going to get pregnant. No. That's not the way this is. This isn't the way that I would plan things for myself. And it just doesn't seem like the plan that Mary would have uh, dreamed up for herself as a little girl. It doesn't seem like this is the kind of thing that fares well inside of a traditional Jewish community. But although Mary is an ordinary person from an ordinary small town, she displays an extraordinary courage and a faith And she hears the angel out. And so here's what the angel Gabriel says. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary says this, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Okay, so with a little bit more context and with a couple of answers being uh, given for Mary's questions, Mary's informed that this son is given the description of the, all right, definite article, right, the long-awaited king, the Messiah. That's, that's some huge news. Her question then is this, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? That's not just a mechanical question of like, how can that be physically possible? It is a recognition, even for us as the readers, as we're taking this in, to understand that Mary recognizes the social implications of what it means for her to be pregnant without being married to someone what that looks like to the society around her. And the angel's reply informs her that the conception is to be miraculous. Now, what I want you to know is that we, we, we talked about hyperlinks, right? This is a moment where we're being connected back and Mary understands, she understands that she will now be following in the tradition of multiple supernatural miraculous births from the Old Testament. And so we can look at Sarah, we can look at Rebecca, we can look at Rachel, and we can look at Hannah, who is actually quoted in the Song of Mary. So we know Mary gets it. 
She sees all of this stuff happening and she realizes, I am now stepping into a tradition of well-honored and well-respected women from my past and from my tradition. And so I think as she's thinking these things, as she's asking these questions, she's processing everything. How, how will the others around me, I'm convinced, I'm, I'm looking at an angel. Uh, how will I know that the, the world around me, the community of people that I know that I've grown up with will understand that I just had an encounter with an angel? I mean, I think it is reasonable to even, I keep bumping that bad boy. I think it's even uh, reasonable for us to think that you might even second guess it yourself. Have you ever heard something from God or maybe even saw a vision or had a dream and then walked away and like, but did I really hear that? Did I really have a vision? Is that like your memory will begin to betray you because you start thinking in a more rational sense a few hours, a few days, a few weeks later, like, I don't know. I, I mean, did that really happen the way that I thought that that happened? And I think a little doubt is normal. The angel continues with this. Even Elizabeth, verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And the angel gives Mary this little bit of assurance. He encourages her along the way because now she's not going to be alone in the process. And the person that is brought alongside her has her own miracle to be spoken of. There will be another miraculous birth which serves as confirmation of what she is hearing. But she's still at the mercy of other people believing that they have encountered an angel and are walking in a miraculous thing. They still have to deal with not just their doubt or possibility of it, but the doubt of others around them that they may not believe and, 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 and in doing so persecute them in the midst of this. So there's still risk involved. As convinced as you can be of something, that doesn't change the fact that others may not walk in that in the same way that you've walked into it. And so here is Mary's response. Verse 38, hear this. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. The words of Mary are more than just submission. And I'm going to read a quote. Dr. Amy Peeler, uh, in her book, Women and the Gender of God, says this. Luke gives the clearest picture of Mary's agency through her verbal assent to Gabriel. She has considered and questioned and been provided with answers and encouragement. Mary does not know everything that will happen with this son, but her hesitant inquisitiveness has allowed Gabriel to disclose enough to her so that she can make an informed decision. So her response is beautifully willful. Don't, don't pass that. Uh, she has the agency to choose this path and she says yes, knowing that there is a whole bunch of risk and difficulty that lays ahead. Even though she doesn't know the fullness of it, she knows that it's going to come with the possibility of danger. And so she has likely prayed for God to do something special in her life, right? We've all done that. But there is a level of surrender here that also includes a longing to participate in the story of the Messiah's long-awaited arrival here on earth. Mary's description of herself is the Greek word doulos. It is the strongest word she could possibly use to say, I am at your disposal, gives the highest possible allegiance and loyalty that I am now prioritizing your story instead of whatever story I created for myself before I had this encounter. And she agrees to give her life to this calling. 
All right, so um, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in the scriptures. We're focusing again on Mary and Joseph. Go ahead and jump all the way over to verse 46. Turn over there in your Bibles. It shouldn't be very far, and then we'll have the, the lyrics, or lyrics, the, um, the uh, verses up here for us. Verse 46, just real quick, um, uh, uh, I, I want us to, this is known, this is a, a very famous, famous um, scripture that's used in liturgies, that's used in all kinds of different ways that, that in church tradition we call the Magnificat. What I want to do with it, because there's a hundred ways we could take, there's ways that we could break this down and talk about the, uh, the artistry that's being used, the imagery, how many things she is actually quoting from the Old Testament. This is where I want us to um, land with it though. Listen to Mary's heart. Listen to her posture towards God. Verse 46 says this. Mary said, my soul magnifies, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now, we could just read that out loud. Let that be a sermon and sit with that for weeks. Amen? And, and if you can't do that, you didn't recognize all that Mary just accomplished inside of this song, this poem, this liturgy. There's a prophetic tone to this for sure, but I think what's most important are the parts that we see is that Mary can find herself inside of this story, not as proud, but as someone who is of humble estate, not as powerful, but one who needs God to move on her behalf if this is going to work out, not as a ruler or rich or full person, but a servant who has nothing of her own means but to be filled and to be used by God to do whatever mighty thing he has in store for her life. And so it's really important that you note the social location of Mary as she finds herself in it because it is almost always the social location of the scripture. It is almost never, never, almost, I mean, there's a couple little instances, almost never from a social position of power. It's almost never from a social position of advantage or privilege or might or honor or resources or kingly power or any other version of that that you want to hear. It requires extra work, in fact, for those of us who come from that position here and now to even relate to what's happening. Don't underestimate that. (laughs) You who have ears to hear, do not underestimate that. It takes so much for us who do not come from that position to operate like Mary, to act in faith like Mary, to see ourselves in the kingdom and to even have any kind of understanding of what it means to act like a kingdom person in this world right now. To embrace this posture is so necessary even to receive salvation. And so this was 
This was obvious when Jesus interacts with the, the rich young ruler. It's obvious in multiple other areas that those who are of the low places of life will be lifted and those in the high places will be brought low. A reckoning takes place. And so Mary's lowest state brings her closer into proximity to the kingdom and as a result to the king who is growing inside of her. I'm going to make you jump one more time to Luke 2, starting in verse 1. Luke 2, chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem in the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to, be, or to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Sorry, firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, one of the things I want you to see is that it's stated in just a couple of lines right here. But for Mary and Joseph to make this journey, to travel from the city of Bethlehem to the mountainous desert area of Judea from their hometown of Nazareth, this journey is taking four to five days in Alexis, right? With your Audible on and your favorite book playing or maybe your favorite radio station. No, it's on foot. It's, it's, it's on some other very uh, 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 primitive means of travel. It's 65 miles, and that's if you do it in a straight line. I don't know how many roads you've been on, especially in the first century, but they don't usually go in a straight line. The terrain was rocky, and the path would have been up hills and down into valleys. And at the very end, since Bethlehem is at the hilltop, they get to look up and see one more giant incline. It's like, oh my gosh, I've gone through this entire journey. And at the very end, I've got to climb this mountain and go up to this hill as it made the pathway all the way on this journey. And Mary's doing it what? Pregnant. And we want to give you some more context for her pregnancy. Um, and as should be very obvious to you right now, I'm not qualified to speak on pregnancy. And so we're going to invite Pastor Jody to go ahead and come up here and speak on this. Would you guys just welcome her up here? Good morning, y'all. So when Pastor Eric mentioned that we were going to talk about Mary and Joseph today, I thought about it a little bit. And then I realized I hadn't really thought about it. I have thought about it mainly in the context, probably of no surprise to you, in our children's ministry with our stories that we tell. And we're actually telling that story today. And it has a couple lines in it that when you're pregnant, it's hard to walk. True statement. When you're pregnant, it's hard to ride a donkey. Another true statement. But as I got to think about it more in depth, I came up with a whole list of things. In fact, I was sitting in Preaching Collective with Pastor Ken and Pastor Eric, and I just started rattling off all those things. So it's been a minute since I was pregnant with our one and only child. It was 
almost 18 years ago that I found out that I was pregnant with Carly. And even though it may seem like it's a distant memory, it is still a very vivid one for me. And before I share some of my experiences and compare them to Mary, I want to pause here just for a second and say I was fortunate and blessed. In the whole scheme of things, I probably had what you call a typical pregnancy or maybe even an easier one. Overall, it wasn't very terrible. It was a beautiful experience, although not very glamorous at times. Can all the ladies nod their heads? Yep. But um, I was very privileged, and I have been able to see some of the fruits of my discomfort. However, I know that not everyone has had the same experience that I have had. And as I was thinking, I want to hit home the fact that we have the luxury of modern medicine. Praise God for doctors, hospitals, drugs, books, and even the internet. If you Google pregnant travelers on Google, this is what you get. You will get to the CDC website that has a pre-travel consultation checklist of things that you should do before you travel when you're pregnant. Some of these things include a list of things to monitor as far as complications go, medications that you should pack, areas you should avoid because of diseases, and many other things to consider. In fact, many pregnant women in their last trimester are advised not to travel at all. So here are a summary of the f a few things that I came up with that I experienced while being pregnant. Ladies, you're welcome to shout out an amen or groan at any of these things on this list. Swollen feet, excessive weight gain, inability to get comfortable, low blood sugar, needing to frequent the bathroom more, lack of balance, not be able to see, let alone reach my feet, lack of sleep, can I say that one again? Lack of sleep, mood swings, and easily getting out of breath. Now imagine with me two travelers on their way to Bethlehem in the conditions that Pastor Eric described. And just to give a little bit more context, traveling on foot, think about traveling to Bloomington to IU's campus. I know a lot of you know where that one is. Some of you might not be Hoosiers, I realize this. So picture if you need to, traveling up north to Purdue. I have to say it, I'm married to one. I try to love Purdue the best that I can. So picture them traveling. They weren't on paved concrete. They weren't on the nice Monon Trail, walking the leisurely pace on flat ground. And the weather may have been warm. Many scholars think that Jesus was actually born in the summer. And if you Google where they were traveling during the summer months, the average high is 85 degrees, not the most comfortable temperature. So I can't imagine being hot was probably one of my biggest complaints. 
I was in my last trimester in July, August, and September. And my husband and I were naive, and we went to some outdoor venues, and my sweet husband would put his arm around me, trying to be nice and cozy, and I was like, you need to not do that. You need to step away from me as far as you can go, scoot in next to the person that is sitting next to you, because I need as much air as possible to circulate around me right now. My balance also wasn't the greatest. I have trouble in general with my feet anyway, and so I have to really watch myself on stairs. So I was trying to imagine how the terrain was a challenge to Mary. Not only is your balance affected, but your ability to move very quickly. I remember going to a Keith Urban concert in, at the State Fair, which is in August, probably not a very wise choice. My mother-in-law was going with us, and she's like, are you sure you want to go? And of course, I was like, yeah, I'll be fine. So I had forgotten that there are a ton of stairs to get up to the main level of the grandstand. So I walk in through the gate, all ready to go, and I'm staring at these stairs thinking, oh boy, maybe I shouldn't have done this, but I was not going to let my mother-in-law be right. So I slowly but surely trugged myself up the stairs and then hope that I didn't have to use the bathroom at all while we were there. So in addition to moving slowly, add to what Mary's shoes might look, have looked like. I got to thinking about this. I'm guessing she probably didn't have cushioned sole supported shoes with arch supports and, and foam that we have today. In fact, I laughed at the fact that maybe she had to you know, ask Joseph, hey, come tighten my sandals up a little bit. I can't see or reach them right now. Towards the end of my pregnancy, I really struggled to be comfortable and to sleep. I think it's a pretty common occurrence with ladies that are expecting. I would attempt to sleep on my side with a body pillow on our nice, pillow top mattress that is super comfy when you're not pregnant. And then I started to think about Mary and Joseph and how that probably looked more like they were camping. And if someone asked me to go camping when I was nine months pregnant with Carly, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? They definitely were not staying in a five-star hotel during their travels. I'm trying to imagine how even Mary got comfortable. As I mentioned previously, it may have been hot and also dry. I'm trying to imagine balancing enough water where you don't get dehydrated, but then not drinking so much that you're having to stop every five minutes to go to the bathroom. Because you know you've got a kid sitting on your bladder. And lastly, when I travel, I'm an impatient traveler. My husband's probably online right now screaming yes at the TV. Um, I want to get to my destination quickly. I imagine on this trip, 
needing to stop to rest, needing to stop to eat more frequently, getting something to drink, trying not to overheat, having to use the bathroom more frequently, and just in general trying to take it easy and not overdo it. So reflecting on all that we know about pregnancy and environmental factors surrounding Mary and Joseph's journey, I think it just adds to the miraculous nature of the birth of Jesus. And I kept thinking of a theme park ride. You know, they have the warning signs listed before you get on. What are one of the things that's listed? Pregnancy. Please don't ride if you have any of these following conditions, and one of them is pregnancy. Mary was indeed on the ride of her life, one that probably wasn't the smoothest or the most enjoyable. It's no wonder that Mary is considered a saint by many. Thank you, Pastor Jody. We, um, in our preaching collective, uh, again, as she was saying, it's like just this wealth of information, all these factors that uh, the guys had not considered. It's like, you need to share this stuff and bring it together. You see this journey as um, we're trying to paint this picture. What we're hoping is to create a visceral um, idea of what they were walking through on this journey. And if we're honest, we think about it and we start to think about all of God's kingdom movement in this and all the beautiful things and all the powerful things. But if I had to measure the story out in my life, literally everything that takes place, you're like, this is a catastrophe. This entire thing, if I waited according to my preferences, my expectations, my standards, all of the things that I want to see God do, but according to the way I want him to do it, this is a catastrophe. In the last minute, I, I gotta go take this giant journey, this, this road trip in the middle of nowhere. Mary and Joseph's journey, as you see, it's filled with discomfort at almost every single situation. Lack of stability at every turn. Almost all of the situations involve a, a level of resistance given the different situations they're being asked to deal in. There's going to be public ridicule. There's going to be inconvenient political obligations like census that are asked of them to get involved in. And this is an astoundingly bad situation that you see them walk through. But you see them persevere. You see Mary and Joseph walk in a level of endurance that few people, I think, could display. You see Mary, who is called blessed among women and highly favored, engage in a kind of faith that few people ever even have the opportunity or ever would want the opportunity to operate under. And there's this courage. And so what I want us to see here as we kind of bring things to a close is the, the Magnificat tells us that Mary, who's described as a woman with full autonomy and agency who could have said no or like pass, like I don't need all of that stress in my life, but instead she says, yes, Lord, I surrender to your will. I want your story instead of mine. I want to see what you have in store for my life. Yes, Lord, I want all of the controversy and all the smoke that's going to come with that. Because as you imagine her sitting in these next nine months, she's sitting there thinking over and over, reminding herself, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Mary, did you know? What? Of course Mary knew. Of course she knew. 
She made a decision to do it still. She had faith inside to look around and notice every side-eyed gossip that she's walking around who gives a look to her, knowing that they're talking about her behind her back, knowing that they're calling her names without her seeing and with tears welling up in her own eyes, continue to say again and again, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And while the rest of the religious hear this, while the rest of the religious community considered the temple to be too holy for a woman to even step foot in, just miles away, the holiest of all that is holy is being knit together inside of his mother's womb, preparing to enter the world and nurse at his mother's breast. Do you see the reversal that's taking place? And so here's what I want you to walk in as a result of the story of Christmas week two. Look at their journey, and if your life seems messy, so is theirs. If your walk with God seems rocky and the timing less than perfect, so is theirs, and I want you to find yourself inside of this story. If your calling takes you into uncharted or even dangerous territory, if it seems like it has lots of hills and lots of valleys, what I want you to do is to find yourself inside of this story because so did their calling and they endured and they persevered and they walked in faith. If your position in life seems to be coming from the margins, from the voiceless and from the humble of society, find yourself in this story. Find yourself in it. Be of good heart because your proximity to God is likely way closer than you think. So we're supposed to pray big prayers. We're supposed to step in big faith. We're supposed to be the kind of people um, that do things which would require us massive amounts of surrender of our own hearts. And so may we be encouraged by the faith and the boldness of the story and the journey of Mary and Joseph as we have just read it. May we walk into the unknown at times, just trusting that God's ways are higher than our ways, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and he's got control of a situation. May we set aside our agendas and not sabotage our own calling before it even gets off the ground. And may we get past our version of the story that we've written for our lives and surrender powerfully with full agency to a better story than we could have ever attempted to write on our own behalf. I wanna pray for that to be true. Uh, And this is maybe one of those times that I like to give a quick warning. Don't say amen unless you actually agree. So Father, we read this story and we see the powerful endurance, faith, courage, examples, heroes in the faith that we see of Mary and of Joseph who stood against all kinds of odds that not one of us would actually ask to be true of our lives. And so with the reward of your glory standing in front of us and not much else, with the, the undisclosure of your plan, because if we actually knew, if you really put your cards on the table, if Mary really knew the ending, and so it's your grace sometimes not to tell us how it ends. If she knew her son would be put on a cross. But you know the rest of the story, the next part, that resurrection is possible. 
So God, thank you for withholding the story from us, God. Thank you for holding us in the liminal space of the unknown, God. Give us courage and hope and faith and the power and the the fortitude of heart, mind, and soul that we would walk in a similar way and accept all that you have for our story greater beyond anything we could think of for ourselves. Lord, this is the story of Christmas. May we find ourselves in it and may we have the encouragement and the courage and faith to say, yes, Lord, do whatever you want with me. We ask for this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.